0: This is the Aerobic Capacity Podcast, your source for endurance training.
1: Hey, Chris. Sammy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, no, it's just another another week is just flying by.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yep. I know exactly how that feels. So, that's the first show in the new in the new year, 2021. I guess happy new year.
1: Happy new year to you. Even though we've talked many times. We talked a bunch of
0: times. We haven't, haven't been live on Twitch this year yet, but uh we're committed to doing this more often and today we are talking about first responders, various sorts, uh, uh, sorts. So I know that you have a lot of experience with those great people. So let's kick this off by you just telling um what your experience are experience are with first responders in regards to training, coaching. Um I think that's that's a really, really cool subject. To, you know, the how did the how our heroes train.
1: Yeah, I actually got interested in in just the the first responder tactical side through Ron Ortiz. Ron Ortiz he's a firefighter down in in West Palm Beach and just listening to <clears throat> some of the things that happen on the job and you know one of the things that that he had mentioned was <clears throat> the the firefighters that go in and and have to pull someone out of a building and that's that's whether or not it was it's some an injured um person or or maybe a firefighter goes down and the the amount of difficulty to pull someone out of the building um especially with all of the gear that they have and then breathing through a, an oxygen tank um, it just presents all of these challenges and for me what it, it it created this curiosity what is the 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 admission protocols to to become a firefighter what what are those standards and that's one of the things that's always been interesting to me is is you know these organizations like fire and police they're you know covered by a union and once you get in you're you're protected and what you see is a gradual decline in health and and cardiorespiratory disease is the number one killer in firefighting and so part of it was is like what's the protocols what's the standard. That they're looking for uh, to perform the job, uh, and it was interesting to me. You know, one of the things that that in fire that they 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 identified was uh, an individual's aerobic power, their VO two max, their aerobic capacity, their ability to bring in oxygen and consume it as a fuel in the muscles that are moving. And they came up with this this number of forty two, so forty two milliliters of oxygen per kilogram of body weight per minute. Mm-hmm. So th- that was the cardio requirement that that I, I that's in their standard. And to me, it was it was somewhat confusing, um, and and mainly because most of the people that come into to that profession, firefighting, are young. And one of the things that we know about VO2 max is that as you age, especially after the age of 34, uh, you begin losing, um, a substantial amount of that, um, that figure year after year, you know, a a percent every year, and it becomes more challenging. And same thing with, with women, uh, women have lower scores than men. And, and here they have this basic standard where everybody has to qualify under this number of 42. Well, women have a lower number than men. Um, and so their situation as they get older into their thirties and forties becomes even more difficult, um, to maintain that 42, just for reference, just so you know, a 42, um, if you could run a mile around, um, six minutes and 45 seconds, that would get you a 42. So Mm-hmm. it's not that fast for uh, you know uh, someone in their 20s, but someone who's lost their fitness where life has gotten in the way, someone in their 30s, and especially their 40s, that's a tough number. I'm fit. I'm really fit, and I come from a good endurance background. My VO2 when I was a kid was in the high 80s. Um, I'm 57. I could run a mile in five thirty-six. So imagine someone who has lost their fitness, who hasn't a genetic background like I do, um, to try and hit a 640, 645 is, is challenging. And the reason why we lose VO2 as we age is because we lose lean muscle mass and women have a lower number than men because of that lean muscle mass. And that was that was a fascinating piece for me. And that's what, put the hooks in. Uh, and so through Ron, I started having a lot of different conversations with um, various people within fire, um, fire chiefs down in in uh, the Miami-Dade area. And uh, it, it really sparked my interest to what is going on. And the number one concern I had was their number of deaths and the frequency of deaths uh, due to cardiorespiratory disease. And yeah, that to me was, it was alarming. It was something that, that really concerned me that how does this happen um, year over year over year and what's being done about it. And it's not that they're standing by and doing nothing in that profession. Um, They're trying, but they have these standards that confuse me Um, to me. If we're really looking at um, firefighting as a business and if we're trying to maximize capacity to fight a fire, then the, the capacity limitation is really um, the people, the firefighters, right? So let's say a fire chief, he looks at a fire and he makes an assumption that this this fire is going to take uh, 15 man hours to to put it out. Well, they can look at the number of of firefighters that they have to fight that fire. And one of the things that they they recognize is that most firefighters, when they go in to fight a fire, they carry an oxygen tank and that oxygen tank lasts them about 20 minutes. And so at the end, they come back out and they have to do an assessment of whether or not they're recovered and safe to go back in. Because remember what I said at the beginning, if... A firefighter goes down; it presents a really big problem for the other firefighters to get that person out. It takes upwards of, you know, four to six people to get one person out, and so they don't want that risk. Um, and so there is a safety protocol uh, to see whether or not they're they're permitted to go back in. And most don't go back in; they can't go back in. Um, heart rate still elevated, vital signs elevated, and they're just not sufficiently recovered. And if I'm looking at, as a fire chief, that fire and I'm assuming that I've got, you know, X number of people, assuming one bottle each, I could look at a fire and make a quick assessment that I don't have the resources. And so when I look at that, that VO2 score of uh, 42. Is it really driving what a fire chief would want to have? And that is manpower and the surefire way to improve um, capacity is to either bring on more firefighters, which obviously that's going to cost money or increase the capacity, meaning the number of tanks that a firefighter can actually utilize. Imagine if you can go from one to two, you've just doubled your capacity without increasing staff, without increasing cost. And so is VO2 truly the right test? Is it the right standard? And one of the the things when I was digging into this, the reason, one of the main reasons why that standard is there is VO2 is a significant measurement of cardiorespiratory endurance. It is a measurement. Um, but it also is a, a, um, a predictor for risk injury. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a safe protocol to use, but if we're talking about capacity and we're talking about what's the limitation within firefighters and how do we turn this around? One of the things that, that, we need to address then is what's preventing someone from getting a second bottle and it's their inability to recover. So if that's the limitation, then what we should do is attack that we should attack the firefighters inability to recover after going in and fighting a fire and, and going through their first oxygen tank and and putting them in a better position so that when they come back out, they recover quickly and they're safe to go back in. And the, the thing is, is if we can improve the ability to recover, then what we're really talking about is that when they're inside fighting the fire and when they encounter stress, when they encounter a, a significant physical exertion, their ability to to make decisions with accuracy improves. You know, one of the things that I had when I was when I was training for the sport of triathlons is that I had a, a coach in college, and we would do high intensity intervals on the track. Let's say six hundred meters, fairly hard. And and when we would finish, he would he would hand a piece of paper uh, to me, and and on there it would say. Um, there would be a particular time and day, like, you know, it's 2.47 p.m. And what I want you to do is subtract uh, 73 minutes. And mm-hmm. what time is it? When you're tired, you can't do that.
0: Yep. Math gets extremely
1: hard. So yeah. imagine when you are in a stressful situation where your life is on the line and you have that same level of fatigue. You just you just went up six flights of stairs with 60 pounds of gear on breathing through a scuba tank. I mean, is your decision-making ability altered? Of course it is. You know, that's why I love watching the final day of the world series of poker. I, after 10 days uh, with lack of sleep, it's shocking the poor decisions that, that they make and it's not their fault. They're just tired. And that's what happens. And, I, 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 I am so impressed with, you know, the tactical community that they put their lives on the line and then there's that elevated level of risk of, of when, you know, they're, they're, they're really out of breath and and fatigued and they have to make a decision life or death. That's tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, It would be like anything. If an athlete tells me that what I want to do is improve my recovery, then that's the quality that I would need to address. And too many times what happens is the prescription is what we want to do is we're going to do a more efficient type of training um, due to time limitation. And the prescription typically is a high intensity interval. And anybody that is, you know, out of shape, lost their fitness, overweight. Um, That's probably one of the the last things that I would ever prescribe is high intensity running. Um, Their structure's just not ready for it and it's a prescription for injury. And so what I would really love to see is, I would love to see a, a better protocol that is more sustainable for the people that have a cardiorespiratory uh, risk. Um, And the number one thing that you would want them to do is just, you gotta get out and move. And there is a minimum protocol in terms of the level of intensity that we would need to achieve. Um, But what we wanna do is we wanna rebuild their structure for what's about to come. High intensity intervals have value, no doubt. But equal of value is just getting them to move. And if we can get their heart rate up to around 60 to 70% of their maximum, then mm-hmm. we're in business. The truth is, is that we can break up the groups of people into two categories. If you're fit and you can do a 42, you know what? And you have a VO2, of 42, Perfect. you know what? Do high intensity intervals. Yeah. Everybody else, what you need to be doing is a lower intensity protocol and building your slow twitch fibers, and then those intermediate fibers. Mm -hmm. And we just don't see that. The thing is, is that if I was uh, out of shape and lost my fitness, um, I don't want to do a high intensity sprint. It doesn't sound appealing to me. It's certainly not sustainable um, from a motivation standpoint. But if you told somebody, hey, listen, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to do a workout that um, you could pick the pace, you pick the speed. And what we would do is, is we would do workouts where there would be a purpose behind it. And maybe it's pacing. Maybe it's controlling their intensity because part of it is, is that a firefighter needs to have this awareness. They need to know when they're above a non-sustainable pace. They need to know they need to know based upon their breath, they need to know based upon their feeling. Mm. So that's where it it got me going. And I went down a rabbit hole. And um, (laughs) boy, oh, boy, you know, one of the things that I did is I I look at um, movement, not just not just in terms of, you know, cardio and muscular stamina, uh, you know, in in the movement of running. But I look at overall movement. And what we want to do just like any sport, we want to break down the profession and what movements do firefighters do on the job? What is their, their, their routine? And that's where I, that's where the rabbit hole that I went down. And, you know, when you look at a firefighter and you look at the tasks that they have to do on the job, right? So climbing stairs with a hose pack, they have to, you know, walk, um, pulling a hose. They have to uh, pull a hose. Um, they have to do lifts and carries with their equipment. They have to do ladder raises and forcible entries and searches and victim drags and uh, breaches. Well, as soon as you look at those movements, what you're, you would obviously lead into then is, all right, what is the muscle and the joint action? What's the plane of motion? And then what's the exercise that we can match that up with? so if if we're we're talking about you know different types of um tasks that are performed on the job, um you know we can just pick any of you know these these movements and and mimic them on dry land. And that's um a solution that a firefighter would look at a workout and see the the parallels or the links to the tasks of the job. It makes it more relatable. It gives it more value to them that they can see the application. And there is no difference in explaining the purpose of a workout to uh, any other type of athlete, um, whether they're a specialist in a particular sport um, or a general fitness enthusiast. What is the purpose of this workout and why is it the highest value of my time? Interesting. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think that that uh, there's, for me, there's a lot of areas of opportunity in the sense that you've, but, but you've got to comply with the lifestyle that you're trying to target, right? So the firefighter lifestyle. And what are their hours? How often are they in the firehouse? Um, What is their opportunity to train? What type of equipment do they have? Um, So an example of Sammy, like an example of that would be is that, you know, firefighters, they all train as a group. Hey, guys, we're going to go down and we're going to do a one hour session. So you may have eight people. So how do you create programming for eight people? that is task specific to the job and if or do you have everybody just do different things the problem is is it's not very motivating it's not motivating for an individual who doesn't have their fitness anymore to go down and train with like a guy like ron ortiz i mean they're the ones that are going to sit back and not do it but the people that need to are them so how do you motivate them how do you get them down there to do it with everybody else
0: Interesting. At the beginning, you talked about, um, you know, obviously that, that age discrepancy. So do you have any data on um, what's like the average age for a firefighter to join? No, I,
1: I, I mean, I, I don't. Um, I mean, they're in their, they're like twenties. I mean, the same thing with military, they're relatively young. Um, and so that's also something that's, that's interesting is that, you know, the kids that are coming in, they're athletic. And the problem is, is that if I'm in my late thirties for me to listen or do what a 22 year old is doing, I'm probably not going to pay attention to them. Um, And so it always comes down to the coach, the person providing the programming. Are they relatable? Are they someone that would inspire you, or would they be one that that you would feel like there's a risk of being ridiculed or or mocked or or spoken down to? And for me, one of the things that that would be interesting is what if what if you had a firehouse, uh, and that firehouse had you know ten firefighters in it, and they're a variety levels of fitness and some of them are, are grossly out of, out of shape. How do you get them to work out with those, you know, 20 year olds? How do you get them to do it? Well, what we can do is we can level the playing field with those elite athletes that are young, that are just through the Academy by putting a weight vest on. Remember they carry 60 pounds of gear. So, Everybody's going to put on a vest, but certain people are going to have vests that are heavier than others. And so when we do box step-ups to simulate stair climbing, the fit athlete is going to have a, maybe a 30-pound vest. Maybe it's a 40. Ron Ortiz, you know what? Sorry, Ron. You get 60 pounds every single time. And the person that doesn't have their fitness, they're going to have zero pounds. They're still going to wear the same vest. Everybody looks the same. But you know what? The more fit people are going to create a relative intensity. So it's a level playing field. That way, when we do a box step up, everybody does a box step up. It's all 20 inches. You create a balance, a level playing field so that no one um, is, is featured. And that's a problem. Always the biggest and the baddest and the strongest get featured and are we trying to appeal to them? No, we're really trying to protect the people that are at risk.
0: Yep. Interesting. So, yeah. um, in regards to other professions, um, I mean, always when you when you talk about first responders, you 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 think about paramedics, you you think about firefighters, but obviously, I know that. Uh, you have some data and some experience with working with the military or at least talking to folks in the military. Um, And I I would believe that there's also a huge variety of, 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 of aerobic capacity within what kind of a division you're in. Right.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I I've had a number of conversations with military and, and it's interesting about military military is changing, you know, they're evolving, uh, and, and, and recognizing that their protocols as far as, as, uh, um, entry, uh, tests need to be changed. Their, their physical fitness tests, um, they need to be, they, they need to evolve. Um, and one of the things that's, that's, pretty cool right now is that the army has recognized that their old way of, of, of looking at fitness um, needs to change. Uh, so their original protocol involved pushups and sit-ups and a two mile run. And um, it was always, you know, a, a decent test for basic health and fitness. Um, and the reason why they put it in there was they need to have these, these, these kind of assessments because it identifies if you can't make it through it, the studies have all shown that there's a significant increase in the, uh, percentage of, of injury risk. Um, and so they've created these minimum standards, but what's cool is that the army's come through and they, they now are looking at, at changing that standard um uh by by having more uh events uh that they're measuring, with the exception, the thing that they're keeping in is the run, the two mile run. Um and just so you know, Sammy, so here what they do is they 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 have you do the events and you 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 get points based upon um how well you do in those events. Mm-hmm. Um and so the old standard was um you know, for a two-mile run, the the goal was to run two miles in thirteen minutes, uh, which is fast. I mean, that's a a, a fast fast time. Um, they had different qualifications for different age groups, so um, you know, as you aged, the standard changed and it got slower. Uh, women had a slower uh, target in the two-mile run than men, and this new standard. Um, that was supposed to go into effect in October um, has been completely changing the way in which they're testing, that there is no more age brackets. There's no difference between male and female. There is a two-mile run, and the standard is just one standard. And so- To get maximal points, they uh, because of the increase in number of events, they change it from 13 minutes to 13 and a half minutes for a perfect score. Mm-hmm. And then, it, obviously, as you get slower and slower, uh, you get fewer points. And so you have to have a minimum total of points uh, between all of the events. Um, but the problem is, is that uh, January 1st, our Congress passed – uh the National Defense Authorization Act. it's around 700 and, I don't know 750 million dollar or billion dollars um, uh, a defense policy bill. And part of that bill put this this new uh, standard on hold uh, that okay. Congress, what they did is they they felt that they needed to have an independent study. Um, to see whether or not this new standard impact, um, what negatively impacted certain populations of people, which it's interesting that it has reached Congress and they singled out uh, something that the military wants to change. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's an incredible thing that, that our Congress is is looking at physical fitness testing and protocols for military they're involved um and so this is this is something that's really been unprecedented you know our military is something that the reason why we do this is is this is the way we've always done it and does it make sense no it doesn't make any sense um you know a good example of that is that you know, the elite special forces groups um, here in the U S differentiate between individual, you know, are you a speed, strength, power athlete? Are you an endurance athlete? Are you, you know, what type of an individual are you? And, and they, they focus on, on your physiological strengths, but most aspects of the military, they just throw you into a pile and they're like, you know what, Everybody gets the same basic training. It's all the same. And as we know, that's that's not the, the, the optimal way, not even close. We should be breaking them up at a minimum into two categories. Our speed, strength, power type athletes, our fast twitch explosive athletes, and then the endurance types of athletes, the ones that could work long time domains, but they just don't have the strength. We should be looking at skill sets based upon that. That's what we do in terms of education. We break them up based upon a skill set in terms of education knowledge. Why not on physical attributes?
0: That's interesting. Isn't it? So, so almost like this is this is more of a basketball player. This is more of a, of, of a football player. Um, you would say this is more of, you know, it sounds funny, but this is more of an administrative role. This is more of a combative role. Within the combative role, we have – those guys, you know, so looking at almost, you know, genetics is, is the wrong word, but physical attributes mm-hmm. and you know putting you in the right job description, you know, it, job title. Yeah. It,
1: exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things, so if you know, like so our, our, our um army rangers, they're here real close, Fort Benning, and um one of the things that they have to do is they do a 12 mile ruck. Um I want to say it's 35 pounds, but I could be wrong on that. Um, And they have to do this ruck in uh, three hours. It's one of their, their tests that they have to perform and they don't give them a GPS. They don't give them a timer. And a lot of people fail out because they, they don't have any time domains. They don't know how far they have gone. They don't know how, how long they've been moved. They don't have information. And part of it is, is that to me, that's, that's a sign that they're not getting proper training because uh, athletes, runners, one of the things that they're able to do is they're able to get an idea of uh, their speed based upon the feel that they have while running. They know through repetition and this breathing pattern, the cadence of their breath, they're able to tell how fast they're actually moving. And so, you know, an example of that is that the, the um, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, I did a run and it was two and a half miles down this trail um, by the house and it's relatively flat Um, and at the end of the two and a half miles, um, which took me 20 minutes, just jogging. And I took a minute rest, uh, restarted my watch and ran back, uh, the two and a half miles. And the goal was without looking at my watch to, to arrive at my original starting spot in exactly 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I had no bearings. I had no timer. The only thing I had was the efficiency of my training. That's all I was able to depend on. My breath, the cycle of the breath, and I came in in twenty minutes and six seconds. Wow! That so long- you that, reminds,
0: that reminds me of the drill that you're doing in your aerobic capacity course on the rower when uh, when when the athletes rowing with looking at the timer and you know rowing without looking at it then they have to try to hit the, you know the, the meter point. It all goes back to the concept of pacing, right?
1: Yep and that's that's the thing is that if, if we taught them the concept of pacing and breath, right the, the consistency of breath right So so most special forces and, and Marines that they, they go they swim. There's swimming requirements. Well, one of the things that we do know is swimmers have the best rhythm of the breath because of the way in which you swim. You have to have that, right? It's one, two, three, breath. One, two, three, breath. One, two, three, breath. That cadence is a perfect stepping point to take them into other movements. The problem is is if, if, if no one understands that, then they're not getting that information. They're not getting it, and they they now have no idea in terms of where they are in the middle of a twelve mile ruck. They have no idea, and to me, I, I, that would be a, a a very good initial solution. Um, but you know, that's where you know this change. That's what's exciting is that. The old way hasn't worked, and so finally now there is movement. And however that movement is occurring, you know, occurring, I am a hundred percent supportive of it. I had a I had a I had a two hour call yesterday with um, the U.S. Marines Training Center out of out of uh, California yesterday, and it was really encouraging you know, where they're, they're getting strength and conditioning coaches from. Um, The person that organized this meeting came out of LSU. Mm -hmm. How incredible is that, that, that they're pulling, you know, the minds from these, these universities, these institutions that are, are, are paving the way on the collegiate side of, of athletics and bringing it into military and not just at the upper ends, like, you know, buds, you know, Navy SEALs, Rangers, you know, Green Beret, but, they're looking at, you know, army, Navy, which is great. But, you know, one of the things that was really interesting was is, is they have these standards. So, you know, for the Marines, it's a three mile run army. It's two miles. I think Navy, it's one and a half miles. So they're all in these, these mile and a half to three mile runs. And they all have these certain times that they have to go through uh, FBI. Same thing. Um, and what, one of the things that's very interesting is it doesn't take into account um, and there's no awareness of the weight of the individual, how much do they weigh, You know, starting weight, ending weight. There's no guidance on that. What about the temperature that they're running at? So if they're doing it in 55 degrees versus 85 degrees, that matters. In a three-mile run, that could be 45, 50 seconds. Um, and the The list of those um, various attributes um, or, or situations when they they perform those tests matter, and and one of the,
0: perform those tasks, right? So yeah, it's all like tactical. You know, what's the mission area? What's the temperature? What type of athlete do I have in my platoon team? Whatever it is, it's it's super interesting uh, theory that you that you're presenting.
1: Well imagine imagine here you are you Sammy you're you, you know you're in the US military and you are training in weather that's 55 degrees and and you have worked on your running and now you're in an environment where it's 95 degrees do you even know the impact that that's going to have so let's just say that you got 100 points in the 3 mile run and now you're in the marines so you did the 3 mile run in 18 minutes which is incredible that they have people, many people that can do that. It's incredible. But let's just say you did that 18 minute run in 55 degrees and now it's 95 degrees. What impact is that gonna have on your performance? And so, right. And so if we're not training that individual on the difference of that temperature and how much slower they need to run at that temperature because of temperature, you know, restriction. What if they've never trained at the speed that they need to run at for an equivalent level of intensity between 55 degrees and 90 degrees. So if you're running a six minute mile pace and 65, 55 degrees, and now you're up to a seven minute mile pace for 90 degrees, same equal level of intensity, right? Same accumulation of lactate. What if you've never trained 7 minute mile? What if all your training is at goal pace? Now you're not prepared. You got to create a range of gears, a multitude of them. And that's where it's like I I I I really and I offered, I you know, and, and I, every military organization that reaches out for for information or or programming or ideas, I'll do it for free. Um because these are the people that are you know giving me the opportunity to have these freedoms here in the United States and I'm sincere about that I I really feel that we need to help the the what I call athletes which really they're soldiers um be safer and and um more efficient and effective at their duties um and yeah I think that that those areas to me are are, are very appealing because those athletes are recreational athletes. They're not specialists. They're not Olympians. They're not on the extremes. They're just like CrossFit athletes. They're the recreational person who is 99.999% of the population. And that's appealing. So how do you make that recreational soldier, right? The athlete soldier better. And what I've spent my time on and working within CrossFit is, is that entire space, you know, not trying to create someone who's going to win the 5,000 meter in the Olympics. What I train people for is something very similar. 18 minutes for three miles, 13 minutes for two miles. Wow. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Dude. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, wow.
1: I mean, imagine. So like Sammy, let's say that you wanted to sign up, right? So you, 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 you're sitting there and you're like, okay. I want to go into the Marines and the standard for the three mile run is 18 minutes. That's for hundred points. And I know you, Sammy, I mean, you're a perfectionist. You're going to want 18 minutes. How do you know what a reasonable goal would be? You don't know 18 minutes or even what it means. No, not at all. And so now the best way to learn is you're going to go out and run three miles and test it. And let's say you do your three miles and it takes 22 minutes. All right. You have now 12 weeks until you have to do test day. How do you train? What speeds do you run at? What do you think your target pace would be for your goal? It's it, it, it that's the problem. How would you do it? Definitely. And that's right, and that's where that's where that information needs to get down to the athletes so that they could take ownership of their fitness. They need to take that responsibility and not be told what to do. They need to figure it out, but they need to get the formula, the model. How do I do it? And that goes into the same things that we talked about. What temperature are you going to be doing the three mile at, right? Where is, when is, what's it going to be? What's going to be my weight in 12 weeks? Am I going to be lighter or heavier? That matters
0: preparation,
1: right? What events are before it? You know, one of the things that they're talking about now in this new fitness test for the army is, is that you have to do a uh, it's like a bar hang and you hold onto the bar and you would want your dominant hand in front near your head. And what you have to do is you have to basically do, it's like a a knees um, knees to elbow but your mm-hmm. knee, you have to touch both elbows and that counts as one. And then you hang from the bar again, um, no touching the ground. And your, your goal is, you know, I think the max number is, is 20 um, that you're trying to get for uh, maximal points. Well, then you get five minutes and then you have to do your two mile run. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'll do prepare for that.
1: Exactly. So it's no different than, than looking at Spartan Spartan yeah. has running broken up by a multitude of, of events yep. Beautiful. and right. And, and that's where I, I, I feel that there's some really good opportunity. Um, you know, one of the things that, that the army has done with this new protocol, they're trying to collect the information and they've had, um, since they implemented this, this new protocol, uh, I read that they've had over a million of soldiers through the the testing protocol. A million. Wow! Imagine the data that they collect, and what are they doing with all of that? I mean, that sample size is incredible. I, I, I would love to see that.
0: So, guys, if you listen, <laughs> Chris, take Just a look at the data.
1: Send me a file.
0: Yeah, 100%. man, that's awesome. We got to go into q and I have a really cool question over here for you, Chris. All right. And this one is from Ben Whiffen. Hey, Chris, big fan of your work. Thank you for all the amazing content you provide. I'm a swimming coach, and I was wondering if you're familiar with the USRPT pioneered by coach, coaches like Dave Salo. If so, what is your opinion on this style of training for swimmers?
1: Wait, U.S. What? 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 What did he call it?
0: U.S.R.P.T.
1: US she you spell that out for me?
0: U.S. Um, let, me, let me try to Google it. Ultra short pace training. Oh, I know what this is.
1: Yeah, um, I've read about it. Um, and to me, the the papers that um, – what, what was his name? It was Rashal that has written are thorough, and the number of athletes that have done it to create performance improvement, um, in my opinion, is valid. And I find there's some appeal there. Um, part of my concern in doing – um a range of of 20 to 30 repetitions of in in the pool between you know 25 and 100 yards or meters at race pace um is it's only targeting one intensity and for a dedicated swimmer um that is targeting a specific uh, event that makes sense to me but not for an athlete that is looking for um, uh, overall performance for any time domain, meaning like, so let's just take that. For example, in the movement of running, I want Matt Frazier to be great between 10 seconds and walking. And in order to do that, he practices 13 different speeds, 13 different gears. And so when he looks at a workout and, and that workout includes some running, one of the things that he does is assesses the total time that that workout's going to take. That workout's going to take me 30 minutes. Now he knows that his running intensity is his 30-minute time domain speed. Well, what if he doesn't practice that speed? Then the muscles don't actually have any efficiency at that speed. He's very inefficient at it. The muscles don't recognize it. And so By training 13 different intensities, what we do is no matter what time domain shows up, everything from 10-second sprint to walking speed, he's got the efficiencies built in. But if I was a a swimmer or if I was a triathlete, without a doubt, that's what I would do. I would be looking at, at that method because to me, it's time efficient and the amount of data, um, and athlete performance performances looks appealing. Um, I used, I grew up Sammy, when I swam, I grew up in that era where we did 10,000 meter workouts in the pool, you know, three hours. Oh. And that philosophy that's changed a lot that people are looking for a more efficient and effective way, and yeah, this way is is um, very appealing. Interestingly enough, I, I program similar to this, but um, for a lot of main sets. So when I find out that the like, for example, uh, at the CrossFit Games they had um, they announced a run, swim, run workout. It was a one point five mile run and then a five hundred meter swim and a one point five mile run. So now we knew the distance. It was five hundred meters. So taking a Matt Frazier, his average pace for that 500 meter swim would be a 136 per hundred meters. So I take the same approach that this question came in at, where I'm going to dial in a specific speed because I know the targeted distance that he needs to swim. And so what we did is we created a variety of, of main set workouts, uh, every week, leading into uh the CrossFit games that year. And it was all to dial in uh that 136 per hundred meter race pace. Cool. Yeah,
0: well thank you. That, yeah, was, that was a good,
1: good question. question.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thank you. So guys, any more questions? I already asked the chat. So
1: yeah, I, I think that uh you know one of the things that, you know my call yesterday with uh the marines we we talked uh, about swimming and one of the values in swimming uh especially if you um, look at the the movement of kicking and and get a set of long fins um what we'll do is we'll strengthen the the legs while while performing that flutter kick but what we will also do is strengthen certain muscle groups that yeah. are used uh, in that kick. And the long fins are, are really something that helps to create strength and muscular stamina. And the number one targeted area that that type of training attacks is the hip flexor. And that's relevant when we look at rucking. And let's face it, in the military, we do they do a lot of rucking, a lot. Um, in the Marines, they carry rucks all the way up to 100 pounds. Well, when you put that kind of a load on your back and you are trying to maintain a certain cadence of the march, the fatigue in the legs and the limiting factor becomes your hip flexor. And so one of the things that we can do is we can cross train um, and have some specificity while kicking with fins into the movement of rucking um relative to the hip flexor. It's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was it was kind of cool to be able to talk to them about like surfing and you know, different movements and um you know, for example, surfers, you know, one of the things their ACL is their number one source of injury and we've talked about this before. Yeah. And um they don't do any kicking. They feel that all of their training needs to be upper body because paddling out in the lineup and catching waves is all upper bodies you know, paddling. And if they really wanted to address the torn ACL, then they need to be looking at leg fatigue when they stand up on the board. And if they can dissipate that fatigue by doing a, a light flutter cl- kick um, while paddling out of the lineup, they can help dissipate some of that fatigue. And so those conversations resonated and that's, what's cool about in the military right now. I love, I love this, this change in direction, this willingness to to look at the commercial marketplace and go, can we find a better way? Can we make our athletes safer? Can we make them more effective? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, we did an hour. (laughs) flies. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. You know for
1: watching and thanks, Sandy. Thank yeah, no, this is a
0: good. I, I, this is we're gonna do this often this year, twenty one.
1: I like the conversation. I mean, it's yeah. it's some of the stuff that I love just thinking about and and playing around with. Um, and it it just be. I mean, let's face it. You and I have these conversations all the time. So why not just open it up, let yeah. people listen,
0: let them listen and share it. All yeah. right guys. Chris, thank you very much.
1: Sammy, thank you man. Guys, next week. Next week. We should have hey, we should have Ron Ortiz on next week. We should have
0: Ron Ortiz on.
1: We yeah. talked about this. Let's yep. do that. Uh, All right. Yeah, you you need to book him. Yep. All right. Cool. All right, Sammy. Take care, boy. Bu- be- Bye. Take care, boy. Be- mo- Bye. Take care, boy. 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 Bye. They care, but take but they care, but 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 but care, but take but care, but but care, but take but Take care, brother. Bye. care,